Each week, we examine the stadium beat from every angle. With athletes like Fred Lynn. The Green Monster, they call it that for a reason. About 12 foot of it from the ground to about 12 foot up was concrete. And if you hit that, I mean, it would just tear your skin off. Joe Theismann. What a great idea this is to be able to talk about the hallowed structures that exist today. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. And it's my pleasure to report this week from Omaha, Nebraska, home of the College World Series, which begins here this weekend. Later, we'll remember Sean Rooks, the former collegiate and NBA star who passed away recently. We'll revisit his memories of McHale Arena at the University of Arizona. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran tells us why the NHL is ready to roll the dice on expansion to Las Vegas. But first, the stadiums meet with... Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, NHL expansion is on the front page this week with the announcement that the league will grow to 31 teams with Las Vegas now slated for pro hockey. Vegas wins out over Quebec City in the expansion sweepstakes. UNLV public policy expert Robert Lang told KNPR Radio, the announcement signals an end to pro sports leagues running scared from the gambling element. There was an assumption that perhaps Las Vegas because of its core industry that included sportsbook was excluded from the family of cities that had big league sports due to that industry alone. Well, that's now false. That means, you know, that that sort of is off the table. So if you're looking at NFL franchises, hey, NFL, you know, you can bet on hockey too. Somehow hockey is okay with this. So it's a major signal from a major league, you know, major league sport that, yeah, Las Vegas is just another big city with an exceptionally good market because it's not just two-plus million people, it's all the tourists as well. The Vegas entry into the league is contingent on organizers coming up with a $500 million fee, but all indications are that will not be a problem. The new team will compete at brand-spanking-new T-Mobile Arena located on the south end of the Vegas Strip. Well, for 58 years, it was the home of the Cincinnati Reds, and now the memory of Crosley Field will be preserved in a 17-by-50-foot mural on the site where the park once stood. Spokesman Roger Howell told WLWT the mural takes fans back through the gates of the iconic ballpark. You know, you look at our left field foul pole, that's nice, but you don't know what the field looked like. So this is really making the representation, the physical picture, what it looked like so people can hear and get a total picture. Beyond the mural, the site will include replica foul poles and a replica light pole. Well, maybe the strongest sign yet that the NFL is serious about a long-term commitment to London. The league says they will pay rent to English soccer team Tottenham to play at least two games a year in its new stadium that is scheduled to open in 2018. One of the features of the new facility is separate playing surfaces, one for soccer and another for American football. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks are breaking ground on their new arena this weekend. The ceremony will feature fans driving shovels into the dirt, marking the official beginning of construction. The $500 million multi-use facility is expected to open in 2018. The city of Salt Lake has approved tax incentives for the Utah Jazz's planned $125 million upgrade 
at Vivint Smart Home Arena. Safety and security measures and modernized technology among the upgrades. The arena was built in 1991, originally known as the Delta Center. And Spartan Stadium on the campus of Michigan State will have permanent stadium lighting in place by the 2017 season. Athletic Director Mark Hollis says the plan includes power sourcing and light poles on the east side of the stadium and rooftop lighting on the west. The upgrade means it is very likely the Spartans' contest against Notre Dame in September of next year could very well be moved to a night game. Bill, that is the very latest. Thanks, Jeff. We're very sorry to report the recent passing of former University of Arizona basketball standout and NBA veteran Sean Rooks. Just hours after interviewing for an assistant coaching job with the New York Knicks, Rooks collapsed and died at a Philadelphia restaurant. The initial autopsy indicated he likely died of natural causes. I had the opportunity to sit down and visit with Sean two years ago, and at that time he talked about his career at Arizona and the great arena atmosphere at one of the top college basketball venues, McHale Center in Tucson. Sean, uh, great to have you as a guest, and let's talk about the uh, the arena. It is a very special place. Why don't you wind us back to when you were a, a high school a junior and senior, and you were thinking about going there. You went in there for the first time. What what were your impressions when you walked in? Well, first of all, I appreciate it. Um, you know, when I was being recruited, I got recruited by uh, uh, Kevin O'Neill and the late Ricky Bird song, God bless him. And, um, you know, obviously just the prestige of, of being recruited first and then obviously the tradition that uh, Lute Olsen was building there. You know, when I went to evaluate my teams uh, and my schools, you know, I looked at player personnel. And the one thing that drew me to Arizona was they had one senior uh, and Bruce Frazier that was leaving and they had everybody back, Steve Kerr, Sean Elliott. So I knew it was going to be a talented bunch. So that was definitely something that caught my interest. And then the, the, the slam dunk was when I went to visit the school there. You know, yeah. uh, everything they did for me, you know, where other schools were trying to dress up the situation to, you know, to attract you to their school. Everything was just how it was going to be day to day. I got to hang around the, the fellas. The fellas did the, the recruiting for the most part. And, um, you know, I just thought it was a great family environment and obviously one where I can excel in, and be the best player that I could be. Take us inside the building. What's it like? Uh, when I first went into McHale, it was amazing. I mean, you know, the first thing that they did, one of their little ploys was, you know, a thousand, thousand fans that wanted Sean Rook, so they came through with this big billboard with all these signatures. And, you know, once you go into a beautiful arena, you know, at that time, I mean, now it's just unbelievable. But yeah. even at that time, it was definitely something. Um, it was very, you know, very clean, very, very uh, complete, where some arenas were gyms, you know. Um, I love the UCLA campus, but, you know, Poly Pavilion is a little different looking. Yeah. So just the whole yeah. arena feel that Arizona McHale had already was something that enticed you, you know, that, that drew you there and, and, and made you feel like, man, I can see myself playing here. I also like the lighting. And one of the things that really impressed me that's a very well-lit building yes it is you know and obviously you know i don't know if it has something to do with the colors of the school with the red you know with the red and blue but it was a big arena but you know the seats were very you know positioned well to where everybody had a good seat and the lighting was unbelievable in the court was you know everything was it was an, it was an attraction to me as, as well as the, the players and the personnel that was there so you go into the locker room very clean it was it was done very well so you know uh, if you can't go to arizona and and and, 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 and absorb that environment you know yeah. something's 
wrong with you. You just don't want to go there. I was hooked as soon as I went. You mentioned that building has been modified quite a bit through the years. What are some of the modifications that you like best? Well, I just think the success of the athletic program, you know, from the football to the basketball to all the different um, uh, uh, athletic sports there has generated a lot of money to where they added the Richard, you know, Richard Jefferson donated his gym. That's a whole practice facility for the Wildcats. So even when Coach Olsen was there, you know, has expanded to where everybody has their own individual locker rooms. Again, you know, back then I was, it was an attractive venue. Now, you know, it's just, you know, now you can understand why they're very successful. Is Arizona basketball on the verge of getting so big that that arena, which was designed for a different era, it's large, it seats about fourteen to 15,000. Are we going to see a time where Arizona's going to actually have to set that beautiful building aside and build bigger? I don't think so. I mean, you know, uh, uh, we you know we respect the Carrier Dome and the Dean Dome and places where they've had so much success over the years yeah. with a large crowd. I think the McHale Center is a perfect amount of, you know, of seating. I mean, yeah, you might want more students there, but I, I don't see it being a problem. I mean, that's a good point. So we can get more students in there, maybe it would expand, but you don't want too big. You know, still college is college. You know, you have pros and you have the college venue. You, you want it to be a nice, quaint environment where you get a lot of people in there so the opposing team feels you, but nothing too crazy. As I remember, the name Lute Olson obviously is very significant, but also his wife, late wife, Bobby. And there is a presence today that is in that place. It's really very special. I'd like you to talk about that, and I'd like you to talk about how that imprint shows in the building today. Well, I thought it was only fitting that they named it, uh, you know, Bobby Olson Court. You know, obviously, you know, you, it's almost like you looked at her like the first lady. Everybody has so much respect for, for Coach Olson for how much he's impacted everybody's lives. And Bobby Olson was just as much instrumental in landing recruits. You know, you had the infamous stories. I'm sure just like everybody's wife of a famous coach, but yeah. you know, her her home cooked meals, her special pancakes that she <laughs> made for everybody, you know, right. for every recruit yeah. was something that brought. And then she always had a way. I think the one true comment that described her she always had a way no matter how many recruits it was to make you feel like you were the special one you know so when she passed away you know I was in the NBA I made sure that I flew from my team I think we had a game the very next day I, I went out there same day for the memorial and left right after the memorial to get wow. back in time the next day to get you know to 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 you know to be with my work responsibilities so for them to name the court after her was unbelievable and I think the biggest tribute towards towards Miss Olsen um, to Bobby was the fact that she sold out they had to have two separate memorials for her wow. um, they had a private one that was standing room only um, that was the one that I flew in and then they had one open to the public standing room only in the McHale Center oh, they had people in the arena every seat was filled for one lady and then after that they had a whole newspaper spread for Bobby so I you know I, I think as much as you want to try to give somebody a good tribute and everything for there to be so much interest and for her to impact so many lives goes to show you uh you know just what kind of a classy woman she was former university of arizona standout and nba veteran sean rooks who passed away tragically of natural causes at the age of 46 and we visited with him two years ago now when we return we are going to visit with mark medora and he'll step in and we'll make it happen that's next It 
is time to talk shop once again. And as always, Mark Madoran in the on deck circle, ready to step in. Mark is the president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. And let's remind you that Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Check it out at stadiumsusa.com. Mark, this first item is one we have been anticipating and speculating about the NHL apparently is making a move on expansion. It looks like Las Vegas is the target. Take us through the uh, the thinking on this. Well, the NHL has made the decision to expand to Las Vegas, and this is not a relocation, but a true expansion, a new team in 2017, bringing the league to 31. The league is looking at a $500 million windfall for the franchise fee. That's a lot of dough. The team will play at the T-Mobile Arena, which is located on the Strip. The team owner is Bill Foley, and he's thinking he's going to name the team the Black Knights with the NHL's approval. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has not been determined. Now, because that brings the league to 31, an odd number of teams, and that doesn't work very well in sports, there'll be another team added, and that most certainly is going to be for the 2017 season as well. And that city is probably going to be Quebec City in Canada. The NHL expansion of Vegas is a significant event, probably the second most significant stadium event of the year, really. This is the first major sport that has chosen to be in Sin City as a market. The announcement may influence the NFL to seriously consider Las Vegas for the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Uh, Las Vegas is a big market. It's 3 million people. It's the 42nd largest TV market in the country, but it also has millions and millions of visitors each year as tourists to the Strip. So I'm thinking that uh, this could change the way people look at Las Vegas. The old stigma of it's the center of gambling, I don't think that has anything to do with sports any longer. All right, Mark, sticking with the NHL, we lost a great one recently with the passing of the great Gordie Howe, often referred to as Mr. Hockey. He played a total of 32 seasons in professional hockey, most of that, of course, in the NHL, for which he is best known. But also, Mark, he played in the WHA. That's where I saw him play. Interesting to look at the arena where he did most of his work and boy he could handle a stick mark let me tell you he could handle it he was tough out there and where he put in the most goals what arenas uh, did he have his greatest success in scoring this is a fascinating item reflect on some of those arenas where Gordy was most successful He played in some of the most iconic venues in the history of hockey, of course, because of the age of when he played. Those original six buildings were the home of of great hockey in the early years, and that's where he scored most of his goals. The one he scored the most goals at, of course, was his home stadium, which is Olympia in Detroit. The second most was the Chicago Stadium, where I had seen him play a few times. Mm -hmm. Then in order of uh, the number of goals, he played at the Boston Garden, Maple Leaf Garden, Madison Square Garden and the Montreal Forum. And all these venues are um, iconic in the history of hockey. So it was a kind of an interesting thing to see uh, all the notes about Gordie Howe and his career. So, But I don't think anybody will be playing as long as he played any longer. It's, uh, mm-hmm. The world has changed. Yeah, it has. Uh, there were two things with Gordie Howe. First, they shortened his shifts as he got older. Secondly... He was really tough with a stick, Mark. People stayed away from him. He didn't get a lot of contact because you could seriously get hurt if you were around him. He knew how to handle that stick, and everybody knew it. 
So I heard he could carve his initials oh, in your forehead before he, should, he even knew it was bleeding. Oh, you are right about that. Uh, there's talk now that uh, there's an effort to push for the new Red Wings Arena to be named in Gordy Howe's honor. Is there any type of serious support for this, Mark? Well, with Howe's death, many fans are pushing to rename the Little Caesars Arena after the hockey legend. But, Bill, it's not going to happen. In the world of today, corporate sponsorships control all the stadium name landscape. Um, just for informational purposes, of 122 NBA, NFL, NHL, and Major League Baseball venues, 85 of them have corporate naming rights deals in place. And that number is going to increase probably to around 100 within the next year or two. Um, they could name it the Gordie Howe Ice Rink in the Little Caesars Arena, but something like that is probably as far as it's going to go. They are not going to rename the arena because they're going to not going to lose that three or four million dollars a year that they're getting for the naming rights. Mark, here's an interesting item uh, right now having to do with uh, Major League Baseball in Tampa St. Pete. The Rays are continuing to look over some viable options. Really, it's just a process. They're early in it. They're still working through it. And they have released a kind of a dream list of what they envision as being possible for the future. And they're looking at some items here that could be a game changer. What can you tell us about it? Well, the Rays are brainstorming a whole bunch of new ideas for a possible replacement ballpark. Uh, the first thing they need to talk about, though, is where. They need to decide on where they're going to build it. And there's been some discussion that they could build it across the street from where the trop is now. And I'm dead sent against that location. But secondly, the design could be incredibly unique. The new design that they're discussing could incorporate a single deck. It may be scaled down. In other words, we're not going to try and put 45,000 people in there. We'll build a really great 34,000-seat stadium. And another aspect is they're designing the park around more movement and socialization. And they realize in the world today, people don't always want to sit there for a three-hour ball game in the same seat. Maybe they'd like to get up and, and go socialize with their friends on a party deck or maybe stand behind the plate for a couple innings or something. Mm -hmm. So they're designing those kinds of spaces into the ballpark for increased socialization. So that's a really, really unique concept that's never been done before at the major league level. So I think that's, a, that's really interesting. I'd love to see them pursue something like that. Mark, let's talk about an arena that I know pretty well, Welsh Ryan Arena on the campus of Northwestern University, once known as McGaw Hall. And certainly things have changed a great deal over the 63 years this building has been in use. They did modify it back in the early 80s, and now it's going to get another makeover. What's in store here, Mark? They'll spend $110 million to improve the facility. Construction will begin um, following the next basketball season. Mm -hmm. and it'll be completed by the fall of 2018. So they'll have to play somewhere else for a year. Included, new seats to replace the old aging benches, which I remember well, um, wider concourses, new elevators, uh, doubling the concession areas, uh, a lobby expansion, which uh, I guess they're going to expand for football and use it for football as well. And, of course, new locker rooms for men's and women's sports. So that'll be great. Northwestern's in the process of upgrading a lot of their facilities on campus, and it's partly to attract um, more athletes. There's a lot of competition around for basketball players around the Chicago and Illinois area. You've got uh, Chicago State, UIC, you've got Loyola, you've got DePaul, and not far away, you've got Northern Illinois and Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. 
Wisconsin. Um, you've got a lot of folks looking at some good basketball players, and you have to recruit those guys, and you need a better facility to do it, and I think Northwestern's keying in on that. Yeah, Wisconsin, by the way, was top six in attendance this last year at the Kohl Center, so you're right. They are definitely a factor. Mark, each week we take a look back at some of the significant dates in stadium and ballpark history, and I know you're holding a few ready to go. What do you have? Well, this week in 18 18- 83, I'm sure you were at the game. Um, <laughs> the first ever Ladies' Day promotion at a Major League Baseball game took place at uh, New York's Polo Grounds uh, in a home game for the New York Gothams, who would later become the New York Giants. The idea, of course, came from the team's time to attack more women to watch baseball games. All women were admitted to the game for free. The special promotion worked. As for the next 100-plus years, ballparks featured Ladies' Day promotions all the time. This week in 1938 the first night game at Brooklyn's Ebbets Field. And it was noteworthy as it featured Cincinnati's Johnny Vandermeer hurling an unprecedented second consecutive no-hitter. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. And 1948, the first night game at Detroit's Briggs Stadium as the Tigers beat the visiting athletics. Briggs Stadium would later be known as Tiger Stadium. All right. Very good, Mark. We appreciate it. That's our program for this week. We sure hope you enjoyed it, everybody. We invite you to be back with us again next week. 